Hello everyone, I'm Danny Ohana and you are listening to Business Leaders Stories, the podcast. The only podcast where you can listen to real stories told by real business leaders. So without any further ado, let's go. Today I'm with David Almango, CTO at Video Slots. Did I pronounce it right? Almango. Alamango. <laughs> ah, it's, it's too difficult for me, though I have to say that I, I do have Spanish roots, like my mother is originally from Spain. So maybe I should have known better, but uh, yeah. that's the best I can get. It kind of sounds <laughs> Spanish, but I have no idea where it's from. So I'm, um, people think that I'm Spanish. Actually, I'm Baltese. Uh, oh, wow. And it's not a popular, it's not a popular surname in Malta as well. Very few families with this surname in Malta. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I've never dug into the roots of how I say a name. We're a rare species in Malta, and I have no idea where I say a name comes from. I just sound Spanish, you know? Yeah, and also I have to say that for some reason, your accent sounds Spanish to me, but I'm not, I'm not that good in uh, you know, identifying different accents. Yeah. So I might be and wrong. Maybe somebody... We sing along, you know, like the Italians. <laughs> yeah, no exactly. Yeah, you know, we sing along as we talk. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, that's what it is. It's our Mediterranean sing along way of speaking. Yeah, you know, um, the other day I talked to, um, you know, this this podcast is being sponsored by a company called Jedi, and they are a startup inside of a big company called Global Dots. And the other day I sat with the CEO of Global Dots, and he asked me if I've had a CTO on the podcast. And I was like, tomorrow I have one. And he was like, you know, CTOs, it's like a whole different thing. Like they might be not as interesting as your other guests. And I was <laughs> like, don't worry, I have a really good feeling about this one. <laughs> so I'm very excited talking to you today. Yeah, like we said, when we met up uh, back a few weeks ago, yes. now I told you we have, a, we have a reputation of techies being very strange people sitting in the dungeons. <laughs> In a way that we don't want to meet anyone and nobody wants to meet us, no? (laughs) (laughs) Sitting in the dark kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. So I told him this one is going to be different. You know, I have a good feeling. I like to to think I'm not one of those IT nerds, you know? I'm not one of those guys that that we have a reputation for being. At least I like to think that. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know whether that's the case or not. I don't like to be associated with the IT nerd crowd, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think is so? What do you think that is differentiating you from different CTOs, other CTOs? When, uh, <clears throat> no, first of all, I think to be, let me say, I think to be at a CTO level, I think you need, you need to be, you cannot just be a techie. You need to, you cannot be one of the guys who sits in the basement and doesn't want to meet people, no? Yeah. Because besides my, besides my day-to-day job of working with my team, you know, in dev, QA, IT, infrastructure, security, whatever, I also have a need to have a very good and strong working relationship mm-hmm. with, with everybody else in the company, with my boss, with the CEO, with other C-level people, and with other heads or managers throughout the company, and just people in general, you know? So, so I think that's actually... Uh, it's actually really important how to be able to work across across both types of people, the techies and the business. So I think that's really important. Uh, there are some, there are maybe some CTOs who are just in 
in pure tech companies where it's, you know, it's like 90% of the company is a tech company. Maybe they're building some tech products. Yeah. Where I guess then it's okay to be one of these uh, nerdy techies. No? <laughs> but when you're working in a business and your team is part of a bigger cog, then I think you need to be, you, need, you cannot be that techie guy only. You need to be able to work with people across, across the organization. Yeah. Um, like, like working with my boss, I was the CEO of the company. It's super important not to be able to have normal business conversations, yes. talk about our business, <laughs> API metrics, our day-to-day problems, strategy of the company, you know? So it's, it's which is different from the techie world. You know? yeah. yeah. You know, it's fine. So I, I, I always found it really important here yeah, to be, to be able to be like that. And, uh, and as my partner tells me, you know, I, I like, I love to talk as well. So I never stop talking. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I find it, I find it important. You know, uh, I want to say a few things. First of all, I want to say that I think that in today's environment, we, when it's all about being innovative and, you know, promoting new projects within the company, it's super important for a CDO to really be communicative and talking and get to know the people on a personal level because, you know, innovation eventually starts with the people. So you really need to communicate and talk to them. That's first thing. So I'm really happy that you have this uh, this uh, characteristic. And second, uh, people, I don't know if they will see it, but you've been doing this uh, movement with your hand of like mm-hmm. uh, talking mouth. And I was, uh, yeah. And I recall that when uh, we met uh, for the first time in uh, Malta, it was, uh, you told me the same thing about your wife, that your wife is telling you this person was already over the conversation. You kept on talking. So that's like, yeah. the, the funniest yeah. thing. You kept talking at the guy who needed to run away from you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, they were interested in our conversation. The test me, no, you just didn't read the science. He wanted to leave after <laughs> one minute of meeting you. <laughs> but you just keep talking. <laughs> so this is the perfect platform for you, I think. You know, I'm always saying that I hope that people who sit with me will be talkative, so I need to do less work. So they will take all yeah, of the yeah, time. Important for you. Yeah. yeah. So you know what? Let's start with the basics. If you can tell us a little bit about the company, Video Slots, first of all, mm-hmm. and what yeah. you specifically do in it. Like we know that you are the CTO, but to go more into technicalities a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so Video Slots is a iGaming operator. Yeah. So we're a B two C company. We have two brands: VideoSlots.com and MrVegas.com. Uh, so essentially, we're primarily a slots business. You know? So we provide slots entertainment for our customers. We hold licenses in various jurisdictions in Europe. Um, uh, so that's, you know, we're holding licenses in the UK, in Malta, in uh, Sweden, in Denmark, uh, Spain, Italy. Yeah. Um, the company's been around for about 10 years now i've joined just over a year ago a year and a year and three months officially unofficially a year and six months because i started doing some work before i before i before i had my official start date um uh, yeah so it's it's been a great challenging time um uh, but that's that, that's our primary business we market ourselves as the world's largest online casino mm-hmm. yeah so we have the largest portfolio of games um uh, 
just in like in, in our MGA, in the Malta jurisdiction, we have over 7,000 slot games that we offer. Yeah. Wow. Uh, from various providers, yeah, from various game providers. We, we also have a sports book in some of the jurisdictions that we operate in, but it's still a small part of our business and slowly but surely growing. Yeah. That's um, interesting. And I want to ask you, you've been in this industry for many years based on your LinkedIn that I've seen. For how, how long it was? It's been. I've joined my first, my first venture in the industry was late 2009 mm. with a French group called the Bethany Cavalier's group yes. back then. Uh, so that's, that's when I joined the industry. And then I I was working with BetClick for four or five years, moved to a platform company, so moved to the kind of B2B side. Uh, then I got out of the industry for a few years, working with an with a American software house. Um, uh, and back then in 2019, got back into the industry doing some consultancy with uh, Mr. Green and William Hill, joined another company called uh, Genting in the UK, and now Video Slots, yeah. Mm. And what, um, at the very beginning, let's say, attracted you to this field, to this industry? Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've been, so I'm, I'm now 46 years old, okay? You're still young, you're still young. So I've been, I graduated back when I was 21 from the University of Malta. I had, when I, so while I was at university, I started business and IT. Um, uh, and while I was there, I had already got a sponsorship, a work sponsorship. I was on a work scheme while studying, working with a company, with the government's IT agency in Malta, which in those times was called Mets today, sometimes Meet and Malta, it's essentially responsible for the for the IT rollout across government and e-services in government. Yeah. Um, so I spent a few years there as a developer and an analyst. And uh, I then moved join another company as a project manager, an English company. I always wanted to I actually always wanted to travel and leave get out of Malta. I was with uh, both as a small community back in 1999, 2000. You know, there wasn't there were so many IT companies. There wasn't so there was work, but maybe not interesting or challenging enough yeah. for me. So I always had this dream of I want to go out work on big projects abroad, get out of water. So I managed to move with another to another company and essentially got place in the UK. I was working with British Airways for four or five years contracting there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, while there, you know, I became, I also trained as a, got trained and certified as an agile practitioner, an agile trainer, an agile consultant. So I got into the agile world. Um, uh, and I spent a few more years essentially working in this field and in various industries as a consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, but the company that was, that I that hired me, so uh, as I said, I was placed on contracts here throughout Europe or in the US. Um, and then I, I this was a Maltese-owned company that contracted me mm-hmm. onto various sites here. Yeah. But uh, in those early years, then of the early 2000s, 2002, 2003, iGaming started to pick up as a 
industry in Malta. Yeah, we've started to establish the first companies in Malta. Companies are moving here. The tax, the tax uh, structure was favorable for companies to move here. The new legislation being published for by the Malta Gaming Authority for companies to Malta. Um, uh, so, so this industry was growing. You know, I started taking an interest, an interest in it, and. Uh, and about 2007-2008, I, I started basically trying to convince my, my boss and the owner of the company I worked with to essentially get into the gaming industry, mm. yeah. um, which he wasn't uh, particularly interested in because he didn't, want to, he didn't want to maybe get involved in the gaming industry. You know, sometimes it's seen as a bit of the... the it has a, like a negative connotation. Yes. Yeah, it's all about gambling. Um, uh, but anyway, I kept insisting. We went, we we then attended ICE may in London, maybe two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But we never, you know, as a business, we never really wanted to get into the industry. I was still keen, and after basically after nine years in that company, I ventured. I I found a new role in the gaming industry. Yes. But that was like my venture. I just had this 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 thing that gaming is gonna keep growing and gonna keep growing in Malta. There's lots of opportunity, great career. I think we should get into it. Company doesn't want to, okay, I would go myself. You know? Wow. That's how it kind of came about essentially. Yeah. When do you, when you said I'll go myself, what does it mean? Yeah, so so when I say I go, I'll go myself, meaning that I had been, I had been the, this company I worked for, I had been pushing for us to start working with gaming companies as clients of ours. Mm -hmm. They're either providing consultancy in IT, project management, infrastructure, agile development, BI. So I wanted to open up another avenue, another revenue stream for, for the company. But but the owner of that company was not interested in having gaming clients. Yes. And I wanted to learn more about the gaming industry. So I thought I'd, I'd find a job in gaming and leave the company I was in and move uh, and get myself a job in gaming. Yeah. So my first job was uh, was a like a was a head of IT role with with a brand called expect which actually still exists today under different owners now um uh, and uh, so I, I joined that company late 2009. Mm. so it's been many years since then that you've been in this yeah. industry yeah um, yeah and i'm intrigued to ask you what is the or what were the biggest lessons that you've learned in this time Oof. <laughs> Um, my biggest lessons learned. First of all, I mean, I think there's a particular maybe in every industry, but um, in our industry, particularly, I feel that it's a very, um, uh, what's the word? It's first change, change. In every, in every industry, in every job, change is constant, yeah? Mm -hmm. And I feel that in our industry, it's like, it changes like by the hour. Wow. You know? Uh, there's so many changes when it comes to regulation, legislation, adapting to markets, 
all the third party suppliers integrations we have you know problems with third parties the ability to switch rapidly so being i think being agile in this industry and being open to change is super key if you're not ready to if you're not ready to change fast you, this industry is not for you yeah at all um uh, i keep I keep I keep preaching about this even with my team, you know, today. Um uh, sometimes you know I get complaints about, you know, I don't know the business changing its mind from day to day. Um uh, it's you just have to learn with it, live live with it, you know, because we don't do we, we don't change for fun, we change for business necessity. Yeah? At the end of the day we need to make a profit. Um markets change, customers change, regulations change. Um, uh, you just need to keep up. Yeah, if you're not ready to keep up, you need to move away because the industry is up for you. So yeah, it's can it can be super tiring. Yeah, I mean, just uh, being able to adapt to that change is super tiring. I think for me that was one of the you know being. I never had a problem with change. Yeah, so I always even when I've been moving jobs, when people ask me like what motivates you the most, I always say change. Wow. <laughs> so, so if I if I'm standing still and I'm and I'm not being motivated to change, I'm gonna get bored, you know, and the, the job's not for me. Yeah. You know? So I think that the I've always been able to adapt to change. Maybe sometimes I do complain about it as well. And uh, and I go through my my rough patches as well, like every other human being, you know. Yeah. But and then I look back and say, actually, you know, it was good. Or it's uh, like David's done being stupid. It's just <laughs> normal cycle of our business. Move on. Get on with it, you know? <laughs> so so I think one of my lessons then is uh, be, be, be open to change be and, and adaptable to change, you know? Um, uh, it's also been... It's also been great to to I've worked in various companies using different technologies. I always think of technology and development, you know, languages or infrastructure as just another means of delivering what the business needs. You know, so it's the same. It goes back to change as well. You know, like um, and I've worked with companies who have been developing in Java and .NET and PHP and Python. Uh, data centers and multi data centers and JIT data centers in UK, cloud infrastructure, things changing. You just need to be able to adapt to all these to all these different technologies. And so my what I always preach about to be to people and the tech guys as well, you know, my developers or my infrastructure team is so they maybe we're developing in Java, but Maybe in a year's time, we might decide to start switching and learn new languages, and we shouldn't restrict ourselves to what we know today. Yeah, um, because maybe we're doing things today because it's the best technology to use for today, or it was a year ago, and now there's something better out there to help us do things better. So let's let's switch. You know, um, and sometimes people have a problem with that because you know, especially you find devs, developers who maybe want to stick to a particular language that they develop in and they're not interested in learning something new. Mm-hmm. And to me, those are the guys that I normally don't want to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> at least they have a problem with change, you know? 
Um, uh, so, yeah, that's yeah. Those I, I I would I would guess it's a couple of lessons learned, but I think it's all about change. You know, being able to 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 accept change. You know, you said now that everything is about change and being agile and quick and all of this thing, all these uh-huh. things. And it makes me curious about your personal life because it seems like you need to be oh, oh, always, no. uh, always <laughs> on top of everything, being ready to change super quickly and to adjust and to bring up innovation to the organization because, you know, this industry is super competitive. How does your personal life look like when you have that kind of responsibility? Oh. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So then, like, personal life, right? sometimes I sit back and laugh about my life because, like, talking about change in, in, the, last, uh, in the last 18 years, no, the last 19 years, I've changed house. Or, you know, how I say, how my living place, yeah. like 14 times. What? Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I've moved from place to place, from place to place. Partly, partly when I was renting or partly I bought and sold, you know, and, and like uh, a lot of people around me think I'm crazy. <laughs> Maybe I am, I don't know. <laughs> But there's a lot of change there, you know. And it's and it's and I look back and I just think it's so tiring you know uh, so I've never been able to stay stable in the same place you know living in the same place I've moved around a lot and this is and this is not because I've traveled or whatever this is like we are talking about mind bolt a place of domicile you know yeah um so it's been a huge amount of changes that's kind of symptomatic of who I am I say I guess I was also married that divorced and uh, unfortunately, I would say at the end of the day because it's it's I'd rather have a more stable have had more stable relationships in my life and uh but yeah, then I would guess like if I look at my life today, you know after um I'm not married a second time, but I've been in a stable relationship mm-hmm. with my partner for now the last six years mm-hmm. okay um maybe to be married a second time, I don't know. I keep trying to avoid that I suppose <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, i was i was just I was let her listen to this recording i guess <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I've, Obviously, work takes up uh, takes up a lot of our time. Yeah, it's like we're a twenty four by seven business. Yeah, um, and this is not a it's not a nine to five job. You know, uh, you know, if the tech team is always on the go. Our IT people are always we're twenty four by seven, and I tend to get I tend to get involved. You know, if there are problems on the evenings or weekends, I want to know what's going on. Uh, So I do, I do, sometimes I, I guess I tire myself out, you know, and uh, overwork. But, uh, yes, I, I, I really need to push myself, you know, not to maybe get involved in problems after, after my day of work, you know, and let my team get on with it. Yeah. Yes. At the end of the day, that's why you know, I need to have a good team behind you so that I can, I can rest in the evening and weekend or go on holidays and I know there's a good team behind me, which I do have. 
But by default, I just always, you know, check my phone, put my laptop on, make a call, check this, check that, you know. Um, yeah, it's, which which I need to which I need to stop doing because I need to free up my time and rest. Yeah, because otherwise, oh, mentally you're just always on the go. Yeah, and it's easy to suffer from burnout. Um, and then this in this sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's how I that's guess how I am normally after work. I'm, uh, I think lately I've been trying to spend more time relaxing and trying to switch off. Yeah. Uh, after work. So I think that that's, that's really important. Yeah. You know, you said that you've been uh, in this relationship for six years now. And yes. I'm curious to ask you, because I think you're the first person that I'm interviewing for the podcast who was married, got divorced, and now is in a second meaningful relationship for a long time. So you're the yeah. first one. So congratulations. Uh, and people who are listening to this podcast regularly know that I'm all about relationships. I really uh-huh. like talking yeah. about it. And uh-huh. I want to ask you, what are the lessons um, or maybe just general knowledge that you are bringing up to this relationship that you've learned from your previous one? Ooh, you're sounding like my psychologist. Now, when, I had a <laughs> when, I, when I was going through my divorce. <laughs> <laughs> It is my, um, uh, yeah. Actually, for my defense, I was a life coach back in the day, so I have some experience with asking like I'm new questions. Tired, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think the most, I think the two lessons I've learned the most. So I look back at, at uh, my first marriage. Why the mistakes I made were. Two things, I would guess. One, not being truthful to myself mm. about my relationship and not being truthful to the other person. And I think those are a recipe for disaster. Yeah? Um, uh, and that's, I don't know, my, my, my partner today tells me that I was just a silly, immature kid when I had my first relationship and decided to get married. And probably wasn't mature enough to be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. I guess she's probably she's right. Um, uh, and and going, you know, into going now into like into this my second relationship, long term relationship here, yeah, as you call it, meaningful relationship. Uh, those are two things that I've made at that point that are always crystal clear. Just being super honest with the situation with myself. And with her about everything, you know, and I and that that I that I think has been uh, the recipe for success for for me and for her now, and she is the same with me, um, uh, which I think is really important. You know, I I super relate to what you just said because me myself, I'm also in a relationship for six months, uh, and beforehand beforehand I was uh, in another relationship, and I think and I and I think about it a lot actually, that one of the things that I that I think that uh, weren't allowing me to continue my previous relationship were the exact same things that you said right now, like not being truthful to yourself. Yeah. Like for me, it was changing for the other person. 
like doing things that are out. That's, that's what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. like, and no, it starts with the, with the small things. Like, yeah, let's watch yeah. a specific TV show and I don't like it, but I will watch yeah. it for the but other person. But you're making it, yeah. Okay, we make an exception. Yeah, yeah, and it goes on and on and goes on. Goes on and on and on and it gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it got, it got to the point when you don't recognize yourself. Like, you act all yeah. the time from a place of keeping the other person happy and not yourself happy. Um, yes. And, you know, yeah. these days with, with my current partner, uh, when we watch the TV or think about going to a specific movie or having nights with friends, yeah, I can say, no, I don't like it. I don't think I'll, I'll do it. But that's yeah. okay. You can do it and that's okay. But yeah. this is not me. But no, I know. So I think the important thing is for it to be reciprocal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, uh, which maybe I feel I didn't have, you know, in the first in the first relationship. So it was more about, at least maybe that's my point of view. And maybe if you speak to my first wife, she'll tell you something different. Um, um, I was I think, there 1% of the time. He wasn't there. <laughs> da, da. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every story has like two sides to it. Yeah, there's always two sides. So absolutely, you know, there's always two sides to the story. I really believe, in, and I really believe in that always. It's another thing I really believe in, you know, that. You can never hear one sign of the story, you know? Yeah. And, if we, and sometimes people ask me, why did you divorce? And I say, this happened. And I say, well, that's my side of the story. You should hear the other side. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it might be vastly different. I once have been a little bus, a little pain, I don't know, I don't know. whatever. <laughs> Do you have kids, by the way? I have two kids who are, this is a trick question now. I have a kid, I have a boy who is 13 and eight months. And I have a girl who is 13 and four months. That's very self-explanatory. So one of them is from the current, um, like your current uh, girlfriend, your current partner. And one of them is from your original marriage. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. So I have I have two kids of my own, okay, who are thirteen and four months and thirteen and eight months or nine months, and I have a stepdaughter who is seventeen. Oh, I got it. She yeah. is, is the daughter of my current father, Mila. Okay, um, but I have two kids from my first marriage. That that's yes, who no. are thirteen and four months and thirteen and nine months. And mm -hmm. what's their names? Their names are Michael and Sophie. And uh, and they are they're they're a different age, okay? Because once I had a guy quizzing me, I just kept quizzing me about how can it be that from my first marriage I have two kids who are just four months apart. Yeah, that's why I was like, this that, that doesn't add up. Like <laughs> one of were, them, but you were prudent and you kept quiet. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't ask me how can it be. Yeah, I was like one of them <laughs> is basically a, a, a child from your current girlfriend from maybe her previous marriage or something. No, it's because my my uh, two kids are actually children that we adopted mm -hmm. in my first marriage. Then they have different natural parents. So my kids are actually adopted from Cambodia. Um, uh, so they were born in Cambodia. And we adopted, in my first marriage, we adopted two children. Um, uh, we, they both came to Malta. We got them to Malta. First, my son came to Malta back in 2009, December 2009. He was just nine months old. And in March of 2010, I went to Cambodia and, and 
connected my daughter who was who was then eight months old wow in March and uh, so they've grown up obviously here in water legally obviously adopted so they're they're my kids they're our kids my ex-wives and my wow but yeah Michael and Sophie you know I think you're the first person who I'm talking to adopted kids to begin with I've I've never talked to anybody who adopted yeah well and I I first of all I talk freely I talk very openly about it you know um obviously they also know they're adopted first of all we look different they are Asian perhaps I know I know my ex-wife was Asian yeah although and when she you know when we got them as babies and should be walking around with the with a double pusture basically yes. you know um people would stop to talk to her in the street you know sweet babies and that uh where is your husband from he is he from Thailand is he from the Philippines and it's like no it's Maltese but uh but they're Asian looking you know that stuff People in Mosa come to VR very curious, you know? Yes. And they keep asking questions and probing, you know? So this used to happen often, you know, that, uh, like, how can it be your, your husband is Maltese and that your children don't look Maltese, yes. you know? Um, uh, but, yeah, it's been a great, uh, it was a great experience. I had to go through the adoption process. Well, lots of ups and downs until you actually managed to adopt children, you know, and and uh, takes it took probably went through a process i think for me about two and a half years wow. until you could actually be allowed to adopt you know um uh, which comes it's a bit of an emotional roller coaster right you know there's, there's always lots of blockers bureaucracy costs a lot of money uh you know need to expose your your life to psychologists mm-hmm. doctors counselors come and they come and visit you at home how you live meet with your friends meet with your family mm-hmm. bank statements legal documents there's a lot that you have to go through yeah so yeah so it's a challenging time is interesting another learn another something new and uh, and stuff in life to go through You know, I have so many questions and you'll have to stop me if I'm getting too deep because I think there is a lot to unravel here. So first of all, was the decision to adopt kids was based on just something that you personally, you and your ex-wife wanted or was it because you couldn't bear children of your own? No, we, we, no that, yeah, we couldn't have, we couldn't have our own children medically. Um, so we, but, my, but we didn't, it didn't take us Once we found out that it's going to be practically impossible to have children, mm-hmm. we were very easily, we just said, yeah, okay, we'll adopt children. You know? Was it easy? Really? I think it was quite an easy decision for us. First of all, I think because my, my, uh, my like, ex's sister also had adopted mm. two kids as well. So like in the family, we already had... Mm. Two children who were adopted you know our well, nephews and she also had a cousin who was older he was a lot of 35 40 at that time but he was also adopted as a young kid mm. when like in the family it was pretty it was pretty much part of our day-to-day life so when we found out we couldn't have children 
more. She said, okay, we wanted kids, so we'll adopt kids, yeah. Um, uh, but the decision was pretty, was pretty uh, easy, I think. Uh, we haven't realized how difficult it's going to be. And what I wrote on the coaster, right, it could be emotionally, but we, well, we went for it, of course. I mean, at the end of the day, we wanted kids, yeah. Um, we wanted kids, and then obviously it's a good opportunity and a way to give to give kids uh, a better life, you know, people who are in children and camp, you know, if, you, if you've ever been to Cambodia, you see there's a lot of poverty, it's a super underdeveloped country, um, uh, lots of orphanages, lots of children running around, you know, that children born out of wedlock and they give them up to the orphanages or, or families just don't have money, you know, and they have kids and they put them in the orphanage mm. because they, they don't have money to look after their kids. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was it, basically. You know, what you said resonated with me so much because right now I'm reading a book called uh, A Course in Miracles. It's a, it's a spiritual book and it's really? been written there that if you cannot have kids of yourself, don't feel uh, sort of blame, uh, put it uh, that way, because mm-hmm. there are so many kids out there who are looking for yeah, spiritual right. parents. Yes. You know, yeah. it, it just Absolutely. resonated with what you said. No, it's amazing. I mean, there's uh, if you I when I went to Cambodia first back in 2009 to to connect our sign, it's just shocking to see the amount of poverty and children in the orphanages, you know. Um, and unfortunately, you then also see in the orphanages the as you know the the older children in the orphanage. It's very difficult for them to get adopted mm. because normally people want to adopt younger children because yes. you, have, you have less problems to, for them to integrate or to accept it. Yeah. Yes. And so as the children get older, if they haven't got adopted, it's their probability of getting adopted decreases over time. You know? And you can see, like I remember when I went for my son, you can see the older children uh, looking sad in the orphanage when you're there because they know you're not there for them and you're there for one of the younger ones, you know? Um, uh, so that's a bit heart-wrenching, you know? Yes. And the thing was, so when we were adopting, we, we, we hadn't intended to adopt two children at that time. We were just going for our boy. Yes. Yeah, Mike. And, but when we were in Cambodia, we were there for 10 months, for 10 days in Cambodia. When we got to Cambodia and the first day we went to the orphanage and where we were adopting from, you know, you just see so many children. And we just thought, you know, anyway, do we want, as a family, we probably want to have more than one kid. You know, we want to have two kids, maybe three. So why don't we just, once we're here, see what we can do to start a process to adopt a second child? (laughs) (laughs) Going (laughs) all in. No trial period. Just going on. No, that was it. No trial period. All in. Let's adopt a second. (laughs) But while we went there for our son, we started the process to adopt a second child. And and in our 10 days there, or two weeks there, we, we started all the process. You know, we had obviously all our paperwork was largely ready. It's a duplication of paperwork. And then the the adoption the adoption authorities in Cambodia and the orphanage were were obviously receptive to our second application. 
So we we also while we were there, we hadn't yet discovered our daughter, which we have today, but there were there were actually two other children that were presented to us as as potential children for us to adopt. First it was uh, one girl. And however when you so when you're adopting you need to go through there's a medical screening process that the kids need to go through. Yes. So for example in Europe and then or in and in Malta, you cannot uh, we're not allowed to adopt children who have traces of HIV or hepatitis C. Mm. So the first child had traces of hepatitis C, second child had traces of HIV. And so while we were there, we hadn't yet found a kid we could adopt him. And then we came back to Malta, kept in contact with the with the with the orphanage in Cambodia. And maybe maybe a month later, um our current daughter popped up as as a as a candidate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they took her for medical screening in Cambodia. We got her results. They get checked by the doctors in Malta, and essentially gets. And she was we we were allowed to adopt her then, you know. So how old was she? Um, eight months when she came to Malta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I adopted her at eight months in March, March two thousand and ten. You know, I have to. I know just to share with you what what I personally go through as you tell this story. You know, I have another friend of mine, which I know it's it's a bizarre example, but just something that came to my mind that she went to adopt her cats. Okay, and when she was telling me that, I was like, "Wow, sounds like very difficult that you go to a place and there are all of those kittens, and you know that the one that you pick, you're going to change their lives, and that's only a cat." So I can't even imagine. How stressful and how impactful and how, you know, I can't even find the words for it to know that you are there to change somebody's <laughs> life, like a human yeah. being life. Uh, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah even even just in the beginning, you know, the the, the kids there were, were, were there. I don't know how things are today. As I, I mean, I haven't been back yet. So I will eventually go back with the children maybe two, three years time when, when they're probably when they're 16, we'll go back to Cambodia, see the place and spend some time there. And, but when they were, you know, you just went in the orphanage, they're so undernourished and they have nothing, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're on half their, they're on half their daily food requirements, you know, because they don't have the money, yes. but they're totally malnourished. Um, skin problems, infections, you know, just just in the first two or three weeks of adopting them, you just focused on trying to nourish them back to health. Yes. Yeah, you know, I was like, I remember Get them both back to kids. stage zero, actually. Yes, yes, yes. Both kids were both kids were underweight for their age. You know, malnourished, skin problems, lack of protein, hair problems, skin infections. Um, plus, you also realize how spoiled we are, maybe in our in the in the first world, you know, like for basic things. Like I, I laugh about it today. Like, uh, um, uh, as I said, they, they, they're like I remember collecting my kids. You know, the the place is so dirty for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they just live in it day to day. You know, so. They're just crawling around in soil and dust, you know, dirty. Their drinking bottles are are 
I remember getting my sons when my son was given to us. <laughs> his head, uh, you know, his drinking bottle for his milk was just so dirty. Wow. I think it hadn't been washed in months, Yo. you know. Uh, given the inside is dried milk, you know, like never clean. And, you know, here we like, you know, we focus on giving warm milk and and making sure they're super comfortable. These guys never had any warm milk, you know, or these uh, these uh, dummies and toys. You know, they have none of that. Everything you know? that we consider to be normal is Everything like out of the ordinary. Really important. It's yeah. not normal. It just doesn't exist, yes. you know? It doesn't exist there. I have the weirdest question to ask. Uh-huh. How do you know that that's the boy or that's the girl? Do you remember how it was for you? Like the moment you picked up that you chose, they are no, going to be the one? Oh, so, um, in our case, there was no choosing. Um, we could, I, I, guess, I guess you could refuse, but... I still remember I still remember today, you know, when receiving an email from the adoption agency. There's this boy, because at that time he was maybe seven months old, available. And he just in my mind I, you know, I just said, Okay, this is him. Wow. This is my son. You know? Wow. And that was it. Fine, great. Let's we got him tested, we could adopt him, and it's done, you know. And it was my daughter, it was the same. And, I, and, and yeah, it's just, I don't know, that bond just ha- happened, you know? It's just like, uh, it's strange. I don't know how to explain it, you know? I think you just, obviously, you want to be a parent, you want to be a parent to a child. The child is there, the child came along, and he's my son, you know? And, that's, and that is it. And I've never doubted or questioned it or anything, you know? Um, uh, I don't know, just happens. Wow. <laughs> so you're basically their spiritual dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> There's yeah. no other way to put it. It's amazing how you described it as just the moment you received the email, you knew that's the one. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I'd say, I'd say with my daughter, I remember, I, remember getting, I remember getting her photo and a video and uh, yeah, they send you some, some stuff about the health and size and weight and blah, blah, blah. Oh, that was it. Okay, this is my, this is my daughter. Her Cambodian name was Kaknika. <laughs> and my son looks about my son's uh, uh, Cambodian name was uh, Visa. So he laughs about it. <laughs> now, it is a very pop- uh, it's very popular throughout the world. Visa. <laughs> and then we, in Malta, once we registered them, we renamed them to, to Michael and Sophie. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember the first day you brought them home? How was it? Yeah, I, I, um, I remember obviously my collecting them in Cambodia as the first day. Yeah. So actually I love about it with my son today that when we, when we signed the papers and got him handed over, the guy, kind of our guide in Cambodia took us to some roadside shack to eat somewhere for lunch. It was a bit of a love drive. For maybe 45 minutes. Yes. And uh, and I remember my son just throwing up on me in the car and I was oh. folding him. And like 10 minutes later, he was just puking, you know, throwing up all over me. And I, I thought this is a really good start. Like, welcome, you know. <laughs> welcome all to right. fatherhood. Yeah, welcome to fatherhood. <laughs> 
besides all the other problems that he had, like medically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was him. And, and yeah, so, uh, it was super exciting and emotional. Um, and that was both my wife at the time and myself had gone for him. And then when we adopted my daughter, I actually I went to Cambodia alone to collect her. So it was for a much shorter trip. So I actually had like a well, I think it, I think it was maybe a twenty-four hour, thirty-hour trip to Cambodia. Collected my daughter, slept the night. And next day in the afternoon, flew back. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I was with this baby. I was alone, you know. Um, I remember having an entertaining first night in the hotel, me and her, you know. I still remember her crawling, because she was crawling around uh, very cu- as a very curious baby uh, in the hotel room. Um, uh, yeah, and then, then I had a very difficult flight back because she was... You know, I was alone. I was super exhausted because I had just literally like flown there for 24 hours, slept one night, baby in hand, new baby, and fly back with her. You know? <laughs> so I remember when I, when I got back to Border, uh, my wife was, what, was at the airport with our son waiting for us and some of my mother and some of her family. And... I, I just literally handed my daughter over to her. It's like, my job is done. I went and connected <laughs> her. Just in your hands, let's go home. And I, I'm going to sleep. And I, I just, I just went to sleep because I was, uh, I was exhausted. And, uh, oh yeah, it was, it was a very emotional times. Yes. And plus, at that same time, I was also in the middle of like a change of jobs. I had just, you know, back late 2009. I was just joining the gaming industry, adopting my son, moved house, adopted my daughter. <laughs> like six months, I, my, my life was totally a turned upside down. Total transformation, no. I would say. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. I want to ask you, what are the moments you feel the proudest with your, with your kids, essentially? Like when am I at my proudest time with them? Yes. Or like if I like, like, yeah. uh, like these days. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think they're they're uh, I mean they're just like they're just like any other kids, no? I mean uh um uh, they're they're both into sports. They're very sportive people, so they have quite a natural talent for sports. So they practice athletics. My son water polo, and my daughter does uh, synchronized swimming. Mm. So they train quite intensively, like five, six times a week. So I love to very proud of them when I watch them in games or in competitions. You know, they always do well. Uh, it's like any other parent or any other children, no. Uh, and today, these days, I guess I just like love to spend time with them and listen to them and have. And have more mature conversations with them, you know. Today they're 13, going on to 14. My daughter, just like any other girl, is very strong-headed, 14 year going on to 18. <laughs> you know? Like, leave me alone, you're destroying my life. And stop interfering <laughs> in my life. No one cares stuff at court, you know. But she's a she's a bit of a natural born leader as well. Uh 
very charismatic. She's a bit of a ringleader, you know, and uh, all her friends look up to her. And uh, so, yeah, there's uh, normal parent stuff, you know. That's uh, that, that you're happy about. Yes. And obviously, I like to, obviously, knowing their background and what they were in. And I see them today. You know, I'm just super happy that if they have a good life, they have everything they need. Um, I try to give them the best of everything, of course, like every parent does. Good education, you know. Um, uh, and make sure they're just set for life, you know. Yes. Wow. I had to say I'm super moved by this conversation. <laughs> Really, it's like the it's the most emotional and also the most exciting thing I've ever heard talking to somebody uh, about uh, it, specifically yeah. a man, you know, because I think it would have been like a different conversation talking to a woman about it. But you as a father yeah. talking about it, it it adds like a complete and total new vibe to the story because you really talk about them as if they were your biological kids. But they are adopted. Yeah. It's so amazing to hear it and to sense yeah. it on by the way that you talk about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm always, I've and I've, I've always been preparing myself for the worst in kids, you know, which is the usual, <laughs> which is the usual. I remember even as a baby when they were babies, just thinking the time will come when one day they will tell me, "Who told you to adopt me? Yes. Anyway? I didn't want your, my father," you know. <laughs> And that's happened once already with my daughter now. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, no, I, I just laugh about it. When she says, when she's told me that, I just laugh. <laughs> I've prepared myself mentally for it, you know, because I know all the challenges that I went through, that we went through, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and the money, you know, yes. went up. It's just crazy. Um, uh, but yeah, you need to prepare yourself for it, you know, you need to prepare yourself for it. But well, that's like with any other children. I, I think, I'm sure when I was young, I told my mother, you know, anyway, who want, I didn't want to be born in this family. Yes, <laughs> it's a common thing. We all say it at some point, at least. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So it's the same, yeah. It's the same. Uh, and yeah. how do they get along with uh, the girl from uh, from your partner, right? Is it the girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally, okay. Um, uh, they're, they're fine. Um, uh my father is Russian, um, and her daughter moved to Malta, I think, three years ago, now three and a half years ago. So she struggled with, she didn't really know English in the beginning, so mm -hmm. she struggled with us. They were struggling with communication. Uh, so she's been learning English, got into the schooling system here. Uh, so today it's fine. Yeah, they have a good relationship. Um, uh, no issues then, yeah. Wow. But there's also there's a different age, you know. One's one's now seventeen, going on to eighteen, and the other's after eighteen, you know. So, and uh, they're interested in different things, you know. And uh, there's a difference between there, yeah. You know, when I asked you earlier about uh, how do you balance your personal life and your uh, professional life, I couldn't even imagine we are going to go so deep into it. So yeah. How really, how can you do and it? Besides, besides those, I have two dogs as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> On top of everything else. So really, how do you balance everything? Do you like meditate? Do you kind of journaling? Just taking time to rest? What do you do to keep it all together? Yeah. No, I don't meditate. 
Uh, I think what I find, what I so while um, I think what I find important is actually practicing some sports mm -hmm. throughout the week, gym, walking, short runs. Um, I used to train a lot. I was twenty kilos lighter than I am today. Uh, a few years ago, and uh, so I was I was into triathlon, which was wow. super intensive sport because you know you was only to you like <laughs> need to train three disciplines. Yeah, just to you think know, about it, I'm, I'm catching my breath. Running, plus <laughs> plus the gym work, you know. So you have like four disciplines you need to train constantly for. And so I, yeah, that was my obsession for a few years. And um, so I find, I find the training is really important to help clear my mind, you know, like this morning, you know, I was, you know, and today I just went for a long walk. I was up at six, go for an hour power walk, back home, shower, breakfast, came to the office, you know, and at least that, but that walk or going to the gym or going to a workout or a class, you know, weights class or something. I find it really important. Yeah, it really helps me to clear my mind. Um, so, I'd, so I do that probably, let's say, four times a week, three, four times a week, just an hour, you know, three, four times a week. Yes. And if I don't do that, then, I've got, then I have a really bad week. Mm. Yeah? So I think that's, that I think is really important, to carve out time to do that. And I normally, I, I'm a bit of a nerd riser, normally 6, 5.30, um, and I normally use the early morning to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and then I, then, then, but then I, I also go to bed early. Yeah. So, so typically I mean, early as well, 10, 10, 30. It's not that early. I have to say. 10, 10, 30, <laughs> I need, I need to be asleep. Yeah. So I normally need, uh, my seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, seven to eight hours of sleep. Okay. And if I don't have those seven to eight hours of sleep, then I can't function. Um, uh, I need it. You know? Yeah, so you have a yeah. lot going on, so I yeah. can get I, it. Yeah. You know, as our conversation is heading uh, to its finish line, I want to ask right. you a question that I ask almost everybody on this podcast because it's so interesting uh, for me at least to hear the answers. Let's say right now, imagine it with me, that you are 120 years old, lying uh -huh. in... in at sorry at your deathbed peacefully yeah. okay surrounded yeah. with all the people you love the most your children yeah. your, your um, uh, partner your family everybody is around you and i'm 120 120 yeah i'm giving you wow yeah <laughs> you, you're, you're going out of this world peacefully after you experienced yeah. everything that you wanted and clear-headed and everything and uh -huh. let's assume that everything that you've created content wise is fading away like every letter that you wrote every podcast that you've recorded everything is fading away and you have a uh -huh. chance to tell your um your loved ones three basic truths about life that you want them to take as you pass what what would they be well three basic truths about life yeah that they want that you want them to carry as you pass like it should be my advice to them yes. you know so I, so I think I wouldn't be talking about investing time in your family make sure to invest time in your family and friends primarily the family because at the end of the day, they're your 
they they are your blood and um i think that's really important you know um uh, to maybe give less time and importance to the material things in life mm -hmm. and work and this drive for money and more money and uh, and worrying about the future and uh, what comes and will I have money for this, I have money for that, you know. Um, so one's about investing time with your family to worry less about life. And uh, and three I, three, I also find it's very important to to have a lot of humor along the way in life, you know. Um, uh, have a lot of humor along the way, take situations as they come, uh, be ready to accept different points of view in life. Mm -hmm. You know, there's never a clear-cut answer to anything. There's always different points of view. You need to sit back and think about other people and how how other people perceive things. You know, it's not only your way, which is the right way. Every story think, has that, at least two really sides. Important. Pardon? I would say every story has at least two sides. Yeah, we start yes, with this. <laughs> at least two sides. That's what we started. <laughs> and we, we end with it. I think that's really important. Um, and I'm very much like that, you know, always thinking about how how would other people perceive a problem? How would other people think of this? Um, how do other people see this problem, you know? Or, I think that's really important, you know. Just be a good human being. Yes. <laughs> I, I agree with everything that you said. I think you're articulated yeah. beautifully, everything that you said. <laughs> um, and I want to thank you, first of all, for being here today talking to me. I have to say that as I promised the global.ceo, that it's going to be an interesting conversation to say the least. And I truly yeah. believe I over-delivered, like you over-delivered. <laughs> I was only the facilitator to this. But, yeah, uh, it was really amazing. It's, um, funny, it's funny though to be talking about all these things. You know? I was planning, uh, obviously, we hardly know each other. You know? so, Daniel, I met you for I met you for 10 minutes uh, three weeks ago. Yes. No? Um, and, uh, well, we must have hit it off quite well, no, as well. And, we, um, uh, and then I come onto the podcast and talk to people about my life. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't have a problem with it, actually. And, and uh, and it's not because it's you. I mean, anyone who asks me questions, I, I always answer in the same way, you know. And that's just how I am. Yeah, you're a very open person. I like yes. it about you. That was yes. the first thing I noticed about you when I met you for the first time. And that's why I was so looking forward for this podcast. Because, yeah. you know, there are some yeah. people who are more secure, uh, not secluded, but like more closed up. I would say, yeah. and yeah. you need to work harder to get them to talk and to tell interesting stories. But with you, it was really, really easy. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, in a good way. <laughs> you know, I cannot wait for our next episode that we'll be, we'll be doing in the future one day uh, okay, to get great. more interesting stories. Yes. Yeah. Um, is there is anything you want to say before we wrap up? Like really anything? Oh, yeah. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, uh, yeah, I had I had maybe different expectations about our chat. Not necessarily different, so different, but uh, maybe talking a bit more about the more boring things like work. Yes, <laughs> which was different. <laughs> which is great. I'm not complaining about it. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, no, no, thanks. Great, great to great to have met you. Thanks for the opportunity and the time. You know, and I'm sure we'll be in touch again. You know, and uh, 
and do a second podcast. Why yeah, not? Yeah, a continuation to this one is going to be really, yeah. really nice. Yeah. Maybe we should build some uh, some regular chat show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a new opening for me. You know, I could move away from from CTO roles and move into a new line of life. You know? Yeah. Why not? You can never know. You know, the, the our conversation today was like kind of a snapshot of your life today and in yeah. one year or two years with your changes we can never know because you <laughs> <laughs> everything can uh, can shift in a moment I think, <laughs> I think maybe the one stable thing i've had in my life is i've been working in technology and studying technology for for the last whatever, 30 years now yeah with studies you know I think that's that's been that's been my constant in life. You know? Even though I have to say, technology is is simply a word. You know, it changes yes, to yes, like yes. through one hundred eighty for one hundred and eighty uh, all time. So you can never yeah. know what what it really means. So <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, maybe that's why I like the industry because exactly. there's so much change. <laughs> Not a boring <laughs> moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing All right. thank you David thank you so much and to our listeners we'll see you on the next episode so thank you so much and talk to you soon bye